Welcome, Dr. Jace Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Chris McGill of House of Jordans that you may have uh, listened to or watched. I've enjoyed that. I'm a subscriber, so I, I love the other podcasts and other uh, media that are out there. But I do have media that are sponsors, including Beckett Media, my former company, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, excellent sponsors, as well as ComC. I'm a fan of ComC and a customer there. Burbank Sports Cards, longtime friends with uh, Rob. Mike Stadium Sports Cards, not as long friends with Mike Fruitman, but he is prolific in this industry. Huggins and Scott Auctions, I'm a bidder. Heritage and Heritage Auctions, they want me to be a submitter. And I will to some degree at some point. And then Top Spinini and Upper Deck, the iconic card companies that have divided up the hobby into quadrants and, and each owns a, a space. But I'm here with Chris McGill. Again, enjoyed your, your deliveries of your House of Jordans. And I'm looking forward to hearing your origin story. So welcome, Chris McGill, and uh, tell us your story. Well, Dr. Beckett, thank you. It's an absolute honor to be on uh, Sports Card Insights and what my my origin story. So it's pretty unremarkable, to be honest with you, but it basically starts collecting as a kid. It involves you know being a very passionate basketball fan, and it involves absolutely loving cards from the time a card was first placed in my hand as a kid. Something about it resonated with me on a very deep visceral level, and I just absolutely loved it. And then, you know, the collecting aspect of it, that's something that just kind of goes deep, and I couldn't even really explain it to you if I wanted to. It's just sort of in me. So I absolutely love collecting from, from day one, and that, you know, sort of blossomed as I discovered different sets, as I, you know, went to garage shows with my mom and picked up cards. She took me to card shops, things like that. The very first set I ever completed was the 1993-94 Clear Ultra Basketball set. So, you know, that, that was sort of... As a kid, that was what I was into. But as a kid, we're on a budget. We can't really afford that much. So a lot of my childhood was just spent looking at cards in the dealer behind the, the showcase in the in the local card shops, just staring at them, wishing that I could have them, but not being able to afford them. One of them was like the Michael Jordan scoring Kings insert. And so, you know, a lot of my childhood was like this mix of having like really great base cards, common cards, being able to build a set over a period of time. But just there was these cards were just out of reach that I could just Chris, really never have. Chris, yeah. there's there's out of reach and there's way out of reach. You know, the Scoring Kings wouldn't way out of reach, was it? Because some of these PMG things that you you love to talk about are are were kind of way out of reach even in those days because you just didn't see them. So you weren't seeing them. You were seeing things. So is that is it fair to say that? Well, you know, when or you're out of reach. Well, when you're you know eight, ten years old, <laughs> eleven years old, it you know it's all way out of reach to be okay, to be frank. Okay. So, so, but, but, you know, I say that because what you're alluding to is, is that it, that it planted a seed in me to, to, you know, that would eventually my return to the hobby would become important. So anyway, as a kid, you know, eventually I grew out of collecting. I became very interested in music. So that, you know, that kind of took up all my time as a passion project. I actually went into the music business as a professional. And, but then in 2016, I came back to the hobby. I think that's where, you know, my quote unquote origin story gets a little more interesting because as soon as I came back to the hobby, the very first card that I went to buy, Dr. Beckett, was that Scoring Kings Michael Jordan card that was always out of reach for me as a kid. So I went, I bought that card. Uh, as soon as I bought that card, it, it completely, you know, revitalized my hobby interest, my hobby passion. I started, you know, sifting through all of my old stuff. I said, let me, let me see what I can do with this. Let me see if I can turn this into some cash so I can go ahead and maybe get a couple more of those bigger cards that I always wanted. I, I got totally hooked at um, with selling cards on eBay. I got totally hooked on posting pictures of my cards on different social media platforms. And, you know, before you know it, here we are, my cousin, Brian, my girlfriend, Christina, my brother, Nick, we're all sitting around a table or, you know, getting on phone calls, talking about the hobby before, you know, we've got a podcast before, you know, it, we've got this network of friends and, and associates and great people in the hobby. And, you know, it, it, it takes over your life. It becomes a passion. It becomes an obsession. And that's kind of where we're at today. 
Well, you're a relational guy, but there's also an analytical side of you. But what, tell us about that. Was that from an early age? Because some, some musicians are more free spirits and you sound pretty, not calculating, but I mean, you sound like very, you know, analytical. So am I picking up on that? Well, uh, you know, you are the preeminent voice in hobby analytics. and You have been for a long time. So maybe we're kindred spirits on that level. My father is a forensic scientist. And so there's definitely that streak runs through our family. You know, so maybe there's a a balance to being musical or being being involved in music and also enjoying a more, you know, analytical, academic, rigorous approach to things. The thing is, uh, here's how I would look at it, Dr. Beckett. There's actually something beautiful and inspiring about the truth. The truth is something that it, 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 you know, it, there's there's subjective components to the truth. There's objective components to the truth. The truth is a passion project. The truth is as much of a discipline of science as it is an art. Truth is something that I just absolutely love. I love the truth. I love the pursuit of truth. I love the pursuit of knowledge. So, I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit here and say, I don't necessarily think that, you know, analytics versus, you know, more free spirited type of things like music, you know, I don't think they're necessarily that different. I think they both invoke similar passions. And when people get passionate about something, they just, they want to find the best route to the truth that they can possibly find. Well, there's a there's a there's a correlation between math and music, in the sense that there's order in in you know in in most I would say most classical music for sure. There's 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 some people that are good at math, good at structure, good at order, are also good at composing or understanding the the that uh, why music works. There's there's a mathematical rhythm rhythm not in the musical sense. So, what was your educational background? Oh, a very unusual and weird path. So I went into uh, music, um, really I started producing music professionally when I was about 14. I started a website and I licensed rights to my music. I did it professionally in Atlanta, Georgia, and then in Los Angeles. I worked with you know a lot of really interesting characters and people in that industry. Then I went back to school and I went back to school when I was 24. I went to a community college uh, called Rock Valley College. Great, great school. I, Dr. Beckett, I loved school. Uh, I just absolutely loved it and I couldn't get enough of it. And so I worked my butt off and then I transferred to Yale University. And I completed my undergraduate degree there. And since I couldn't get enough of school, I had to keep going. And I and then I uh, just just a few weeks ago uh, graduated from UCLA School of Law. So officially officially overeducated to the extreme, and just a guy who just loves the hobby and just looking at cards. But that's kind of where we are. Ex- explain why you keep calling me Dr. Beckett. I, I I am Dr. Beckett in one sense, and I was a, a a college professor. You could have been one of my students, but that was a long time ago. But you're welcome to call me Jim because uh, I'm just a regular guy now. I'm a re- I'm re- really pretty <laughs> retired. But if you're going to school that much, you're used to probably dealing with a lot of professors. So I'll. I appreciate the honor bestowed, but it's it's not necessary. But but that's distinction. And how are you putting that together for for again? Are you how much of card collecting is a side gig, or, or what what what's the configuration of your of your work life right now? You still doing music? Is the because sounds like you got an awful lot of uh, focal points. Oh yeah. Well, you know the music chapter of my life is largely closed, and it was a tremendous one. But I still pursue it for fun when I get a chance. But the hobby absolutely consumes me. You know, like you said, we have the House of Jordans podcast. I absolutely love making that podcast. But you know, I, what I love just as much as making the podcast is consuming hobby content. There's so much good hobby content out there. I love to consume it. I love to see the hobby grow. I love the different platforms that you can consume hobby content on, whether it's the podcast format, whether it's the YouTube format, whether it's via social media, whether it's on message boards. The hobby is a puzzle that, you know, more pieces keep coming into it every week. And it's like you you, you can never complete the puzzle. You just keep adding on. So you keep getting more pieces and more pieces and the picture becomes bigger, becomes more robust, it becomes more interesting. And, you know, I've been, you know, enthusiastically collecting you know, for going on a little over four years now since I came back in 2016. And I still feel like I just am barely scratching the surface in so many ways. 
Okay. So uh, you you now you now have a law degree. I mean, are are you going to apply that to uh, to this industry? It sounds like you're all in, and I totally appreciate that. I was and probably still am in many respects, just all in. This is the you know the the the, the I mean, I did other I had other careers, but this is was certainly my most most uh, favorite. But and you got a law degree. I mean, uh, you know, listening to podcasts. Unfortunately, I mean, I hate to shoot myself in the foot, but it's almost becoming a full time job. <laughs> just focusing on the industry, and there are great ones out there. And I don't want to pick and choose. I just listen to them at, at one and a half speed or double speed. But it's it's uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there, and uh, you got to make a living. So I presume you're selling buying and selling cards. But what, what's how's the law degree going to kick in? Yeah, well, great question. And what's um, next educationally? Are you going to get an MD now? Oh, geez. You know, any excuse to not grow up. Maybe that's part of the reason why I just love the hobby so much is that it just connects me to such a nostalgic period of childhood. But actually, I know that's not true because there's so many um, adult intellectual fascinations about the hobby that, that capture me that, you know, there's so there, there's lots of things going on about why we love the hobby. But here's the thing. Uh, even as a full time law student, you know, I was thinking about and participating in the hobby 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, and then, you know, especially if I'm really working on a deal or like there's really something interesting happening in the market, a big auction just ended. I'm, I'm crunching so many numbers, you know, so the hobby, it, it, it was a full time thing, even when it wasn't my quote unquote full time thing. So like right now is a very interesting period. Uh, the bar exam in California has been pushed back. It keeps getting pushed back. I'm obviously studying for that. I I can't wait to get that exam over with. I have, you know, a tremendous opportunity with a great law firm that I can't wait to engage in and participate in. But, you know, I'm a dreamer, Jim. I absolutely love the hobby and I would love to find my place and make my mark in this hobby and pursue it at the highest possible level I possibly could. You know, life is short. And when you have something that you're passionate about and that you love, or in my case, there's been many passionate things that I love. I just want to do them to the fullest, uh, whether it's law, whether it's the hobby, whether it's music, I love all of it. And I'm not a big, you know, super far out planner. I like to take in everything as day by day and, and make sure I never miss an opportunity when it presents itself. I think there's two kinds of entrepreneurs and you may, I'm not sure if you're the first or the second, but one is the the person that likes to to create things and start things and, 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 but they can, they're willing to do that on the side. And then the other is the entrepreneur that, 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 that burns all the boats and is all in, jumps in uh, totally into something completely immersive, doesn't do anything else. And it's feast or famine. And I, I don't, I probably was more the, more the former because I started even my company and the, the, the stuff is a side gig and I didn't really go into it full time until it had really, are you the first or the second? Oh, I'm definitely the second. Definitely the second. I wish I was the first. Uh, I, I think that's a more reasonable approach, but knowing myself at the ripe age of 33, soon to be 34, certain things we probably can't change. And one thing about myself is that I get, whether it's, you know, that's what, like with music or when, you know, when I'm working on a, a track, I'm totally immersed in it. You can't talk to me. There's just, when it comes to the hobby, it's the same way. I'm, I'm totally immersed in the hobby. When I go into something, I go into way too much depth. You know, that's people's biggest complaints about our podcast is that it's just too in-depth. So, you know, for better or worse, definitely the, the latter. Well, I, I hope it's better. I hope you didn't just go to law school so you could write your own contracts or something. <laughs> it's tough to be your own attorney. My, you know, my second career was being a full-time expert witness in uh, complex uh, class actions. So I don't know if that overlap with some things your dad did or, or things you'd want to do, but that was pretty consuming uh, in the sense you got to be where you got to be for these for these federal court cases that would, would go on. But, you know, I could visit card shops and do things on the side. But in those days, I, I really couldn't have had that. In fact, I had to leave that to when, the, when my company got going too, uh, too strong. So what, so where are you going to be in five years? Are you going to be doing the same thing? Do you see the passion uh, just continuing to, to build? Because I think the hobby is, is going really strong and it's fired fired up in a lot of ways by people your age who are coming in with a vengeance. 
And um, no one's going to ever be able to get all the cards, even if you had all the money in the world. You, you well, not if you had all the money in the world, but yeah. Well, you chase these cards, the higher the prices go. So where's going to be in five years? It's a great question. So let me uh, just really briefly. You said something super interesting when you talk about being an expert witness and the involvement, you know, in, in law. So law teaches us some very interesting things. So one thing I learned in law school, among the many other things, because the type of law that I'm really interested in is litigation. And one of the things that you learn in law school that they teach you in all the classes and that they drive home is the importance of credibility. Credibility, accuracy, responsibility, integrity, these things are paramount. And, and once you lose them, it's very difficult to get them back. So whether you're speaking to a judge, whether you're speaking to a jury, it's very, very important that you've done all of your homework, you've done all of your research, that, you, that you're presenting and, and pursuing the truth and you're pursuing knowledge and you're trying to help everybody in the court get to the truth. And that's a very different thing from being a salesperson or from being somebody who's pitching a product. Those are very different categories. And you maybe think about that when you mentioned being an expert witness, because being an expert witness is all about credibility and it's all about background knowledge, being able to communicate a message in a way that that enlightens it, that sheds a light on it. So really, that's that's one interesting parallel between law and hobby. And we're kind of out of time. So okay. I really appreciate you saying that. But I just think uh, let, let me end on this high note because we're, we're out of time, folks. And I'll get Chris back because I, I knew we weren't going to be able to fit it all into one episode. But basically, the credibility he's talking about is a big deal. But when I was doing my expert witnessing, most of it was in front of a judge and not a jury. So the credibility is in the audience of one. You just have to make sure that one person believes you're credible. But what Chris is talking about in the game of life, there's really in most people's daily life, it's it's not the one person or it's not even God. You know, we're talking about public opinion, which is like a jury of everybody in the world in social media that they need to think that you are believable and credible. So let, let's let's leave it on that. That credibility is tricky in the age of the internet. It, you know, one troll can say something bad, and the other ninety nine people know that it's not true. But sensationalist. But Chris, you've done a great job. I'm looking forward to having you back. And we're going to talk about some other uh, passions that you have in collecting. And uh, thank you, listeners. I'll be back again tomorrow with another interesting episode. The man